Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Hey, uh, how many of you have had a really good 2019? Awesome. Awesome. I love that. You got a new book, so of course you've had a good one, right? How many of you have had a a tough 2019? Yeah. I'll I'll be just honest with you. 2019, I'm ready to get into 2020. Um, And and I've just been thinking about us as a church family, and, and I feel like uh, this has been a challenging year. And, uh, and even just, just for our, our senior leadership team, which is our, like our, our oversight, and then our core leadership team, which is our, our, our staff, almost either, either individually or at least family by family, we've been fighting some tough battles. And, uh, and, and we haven't talked a ton about it in public, and I'm not going to uh, spend time on it this morning um, because, one, they're not all my stories to tell, uh, but, but two, it's just not where we're headed. But I'll, I want to say this. We've been fighting some battles, and here's what's incredible for us to understand as we're fighting battles. Some of you have been fighting, like fighting for your life, quite honestly, is that we've talked about this before, but in, in, in Jesus's story, he, he was filled with the, the Spirit of God at his baptism. And then the next line says, and the Spirit led him into the wilderness. And, and, and I think sometimes that's like a terrifying place to be. And I'm thinking, man, God, why did you, did you lead me into hardship, right? Here's the reason why God sometimes leads us into hardship. He'll never lead you into hardship so that you'll fail. He's always leading you into hardship so that you can learn how to live victoriously with what, he, what he's already deposited in your life. And when we begin to understand that, we stop living as a victim and we start living as a victor and we start thinking victorious like, okay, if, if God has led me into this, and I believe that God has been all over this year and there's been some things that haven't been him, but he's been all over this year, but I believe that God is actually leading us into victory, not into victimhood. And if the church could wake up out of victimhood, oh my goodness. And I believe that's, that's, that's what God's leading us into. The other reason I want to bring that up is for us as a, as a church family, I, I feel like God has been putting things in order. And so for some of you, as he's putting things in order and you're not in the like in understanding of what's going on, I, I want to acknowledge also that, that some of you have, have even paid a price and you haven't really known. Like, like we're, we've been working actually pretty hard behind the scenes to get some stuff in order for community and just getting us together more regularly and being together. And, and I recognize that some of you have been struggling with being lonely and isolated and looking for some ways to connect. And I'm so excited for where we're going. I, I believe that God has some incredible stuff in store for us in the new year. We're launching a bunch of groups, a whole bunch of stuff that's going on. Um, but I also just want to acknowledge that you have also been struggling, and I'm sorry for that. Like I, I, I'm, I'm pumped for where we're headed. We're seeing things put in order. Um, but that's, just, that's really part of the process of growing as a family. And so I'm excited for where we're going, but it doesn't diminish uh, where you've been and where you've been struggling. But I believe God has such good things in store for us. I'm excited for 
launching some, some uh, more community stuff in the new year. I'm excited for this conference, um, heart and soul, because I really believe it's going to be good for us to be together for a weekend and, uh, and see God move in some really cool ways. And so I'm pumped for where we're headed, and I recognize also it's been a challenging, uh, a challenging year. But I really believe that 2020 is going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal year for us as a church family and for you. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Oh, Father, you're really good to us. You're always good to us. Give us eyes to see your goodness. Lord, I thank you that you love us. And Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you would cement in us the reality that we're the beloved. That we're loved by you. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would Give us that conviction, that you would convict us to that end, that we're the ones that Jesus loves. In Jesus' name, amen. The most powerful you is the one who lives full of love. The most powerful you is the one that lives full of love. Your most powerful moments have been living from a place of love. The truth is, though, that it's impossible to give what you haven't received. And so the way we love others is actually a revelation and a demonstration of the way that we believe that God is loving us. The way we treat others is directly connected to the way that we believe that God is treating us. If you struggle with judging it's probably that you believe that God is judging and nitpicking you apart. If you struggle with condemnation, it's probably because you think that God is condemning you. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you struggle with anger, you probably think that God is angry. If you struggle with greed, you probably think that God is greedy. If you struggle with self-centeredness, you probably think that God is self-centered. The way that we treat other people, the way that we live is a revelation of how and a demonstration of how we believe that God is loving us and how we receive it. I heard this story from a doctor this week. It says, today I operated on a little girl. She needed O-negative blood. We didn't have any, but her twin brother has O negative blood. I explained that it was a matter of life and death. He sat quietly for a moment and then he said goodbye to his parents. I didn't think anything of it until, af- until after we, look- we took his blood and he asked, so when will I die? He thought that he was giving his life for hers. Thankfully, they're both fine. The most powerful you is the one that lives fully alive in love. The truth is is that love is a vulnerable place. When you love, it causes you to open up your chest and entrust your heart to the people that you love. Try holding a new baby. Try releasing, which I haven't done, your 18-year-old into the world. Try asking her out on a date for the first time 
It requires, love requires vulnerability. Try being married for a dozen years and talking about your intimacy in ways that you never have before. Love requires risk. Love requires that I would actually be vulnerable with you and give you permission to either receive me or to reject me. I'd like to suggest that God, who is all-powerful, is also incredibly vulnerable. That he's incredibly vulnerable. It doesn't mean that he's vulnerable to the extent that he is actually open to defeat, but it does mean that he's vulnerable to the extent that he allows us to receive him or reject him. That he allows for our behavior to have an impact on his heart. I was thinking about the, the fall of, of Lucifer. And I actually, uh, I, I think there's actually a connection between vulnerability and joy. And we'll, we'll talk about that in just a minute. But God, who in, in 1 Timothy 1.10 is, is called uh, the happy God, And just allow that to sink in for a second. God's the happy God. Say that with me. God's the happy God. The the happy God, he's the one that Psalms says, Psalms 116.11 says that in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. Isn't that incredible? That means this, that if you're around him, he's radiating joy. Have you ever been around somebody that is so full of joy that you just can't help but be joyful in their presence? Try a little kid. Incredibly joyful little kid. It's like it causes you to put your guard down because they have chosen to put their guard down. Right? So I believe that God is so joyful, so vulnerable with his heart and yet not ever susceptible to defeat that the devil actually thought he had a chance. Right? Like, like there's something about joy that causes you to, 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 to seem as if you're open to attack. And I believe that he actually lived in this place that was so open to joy that the devil actually thought, hey, I'm going to lead a revolt. And I think I got a chance on this guy. He's pretty vulnerable. He's pretty joyful. He's like a child in his joy. He's open for attack. And and I I think when we learn how to be vulnerable, we actually learn how to love. And it's actually, that's why scripture can say, rejoice in your weakness. Let the weak say I am strong. Because there is something about our vulnerability, our openness to those around us that allows us to receive from them. And so when I'm vulnerable with God, it allows him into my life. That's why Psalm 24 says, lift up your gates. Your, your gates. You know why you have to lift up your gates? So that you can let the king of glory come in. When is a city most vulnerable? when their gates are open. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you should not have wisdom where you're vulnerable. But I am saying that it's crucial that if we're going to be people who live in love, that we actually live from a place of vulnerability. I think that that's actually our strongest place. 
And I think that love actually, by nature, has a way of making us vulnerable. Intimacy, real relational connection, requires a level of openness that makes you susceptible to pain and loss, as well as to joy and victory. When I uh, got married to Lauren, in many ways it was like looking in the mirror for the first time. I was like, oh my goodness. When I act that way, it has that response. And the truth is, is that I'm not, not acting a new way. I can just finally see the way that I've been acting reflected at me. There, there, and so it caused me to be stretched and to, to grow because of the level of vulnerability that we were living in. And let me say this, it was not a high level of vulnerability. It was just the most vulnerable I'd ever been. But here's what I realized as we went on in marriage for a few years. I realized that I actually wasn't very vulnerable at all. I lived in a place of incredible self-reliance, which is this. If I have any needs, then I'll take care of myself. Ultimately, I don't really need you. Which caused, uh, in our marriage, it caused it to look as if I had it all together and she always had all the problems. The truth could, couldn't be further from that, though. The truth was is that she had incredible strength that in my self-reliance, I was not allowing her to offer to me, and it caused both of us to be miserable. And, and what I found is that I had an issue with vulnerability, which led to an issue of intimacy and connection. You see, the way that I had been thinking probably my whole life is that maturity looks like having it all together and needing nothing from anybody. But that's not what love looks like. That, that's not actually what love looks like. I said this last week, and I'll continue sharing a little bit of my story. Spiritual maturity is not about how much we know but about how comfortable we are with love. It, because God is love, when I'm comfortable with him, it actually causes me to mature. And when he says, this is what I want you to do, this is my command that you would love as I have loved you, it requires that we would actually position ourselves to live in a place of love. And that love, which is expressing the nature of God, is what maturity looks like. And so we, we had been married for a while, and I, I realized I had this problem. Some of you could probably relate. I had no ability for empathy. Like, you got a problem, well, that's your problem. I couldn't actually enter into it with you. I could throw solutions at you, which is incredibly isolating. Don't be a solution person. And, and so... What happened in my life is that it was like I had no capacity for pain and also no capacity for joy. My life was like a flat line. And so like something really good happened, I'm like, oh, that's, that's great. Nice. Really good. Something like catastrophic happened, I'd be like, yeah, I'll be okay. It's too bad. And, and what I discovered is that I was living life in suppression. 
It was like all of my emotional emotions, my emotional bandwidth had been so suppressed that there was like a little bit of joy and a little bit of pain and a little bit. And I was just kind of living like this when actually in God, there was like this full range of emotion that I was actually invited to live in and had no awareness on how to get there. Here's what emotional suppression always leads to. Depression. And here's what's incredible is that God in his brilliance created us in such a way that we can only have joy to the extent that we actually experience and process our pain. Which means this, that we don't get to run around all joyful without having processed with God the pain in our life. And it actually protects us from being surface level people and instead causes us to live at depth and at intimacy and in connection with God. And in God's brilliance, he gave us that for our own protection. He gave us that for our own protection, one, so that in trauma, we would, our bandwidth would actually shrink so that we wouldn't like just fall apart but we could actually like somehow suppress the emotion until we got into a safe place to process it and open it up. But because he didn't want us to live stuck with suppressed emotions, but he actually wants to be our healer and our comforter, he then said, hey, I'm not going to let you stay there and still experience joy. Instead, I'm going to require that you process pain so that you can experience wholeness in your joy. And so I found myself with 20-something years of unprocessed life. It was like I lived all of this life and all the emotions were actually like stuffed under this big rug and it was like towering up to the ceiling of, of the room of my life. And so I was confronted with my inability to love wholeheartedly when I looked at Lauren and I knew that she was worth my whole heart and yet I had suppressed it so much that I did not really have it to give in a way that would be full and meaningful to her. And the truth is, is that it affected every area of my life because typically the way that you are in one set of relationships is the way that you are in all of them. And so the people that I had spiritual leadership in their lives, uh, I would push and drive instead of love and enter into their world. I'd expect everybody to tough it up when the truth was is that toughing it up it was what got me into the place that I was in and I had no idea how to do it. And so I ended up in a counselor's office, basically, on, actually on this retreat weekend. And, and I just began to dive like all in. I realized that I needed people to process life with. I love what Steve uh, shared about discipleship a few weeks ago that it's actually one of the values of a discipleship is that it's having people to process life with. The joys and the pains of life. The decisions and the difficulty. And so I, I, I began to process life, which was quite overwhelming for me. The truth is, is that my suppression led me into, as I processed life, a depression because I ended up needing to process every, all this pain that I had stuffed. I don't think that actually has to be true for you. I believe that God actually has a better way of doing it. I just didn't know it at the time. And so I found myself stuck in learning how to love. And it was like the, the uh, bandwidth of my life started doing this. And I was like, I had no idea how to experience 
all of that. But what God has done in my heart, and I still have a ways to go, but what God has done in my heart is he's taught me how to love. He's taught me more than that, how to be so comfortable with his love, how to love me when I'm just an idiot. And he's loved me in my victory. One of the most vulnerable places to be is actually not in your pain, it's in your joy. To express your joy and invite people into it is incredibly vulnerable. Most of us will never do it. Most of us will say, yeah, you know, I did, I, I, this is what I did. And we'll kind of say it under our breath because the risk of sharing your joy and somebody not rejoicing with you is an incredibly vulnerable place to be. And so I found myself on this process of learning how to live comfortable with love. Jesus says in uh, John Chapter 13, verse 34, we talked about this last week. He says, a new command I give you. Check out Hebrews 8, 13, if you want to understand what all this means. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. If spiritual maturity is not about how much you know, but about how comfortable you are with love, then the starting place for spiritual maturity is found in how much, not how much I love, but how much he loves me. If you don't understand how much God loves you, and I'm not talking about knowledge, understanding. You know, the word typically used both in Hebrew and in Greek in the Bible for knowledge is actually experiential knowledge. So when I'm talking knowledge, if you don't know, if you don't understand, if you haven't experienced the overwhelming love of God for you, then it's impossible for you to move into maturity. Ephesians 4 says that maturity is living in the fullness of God. It's actually representing him well when I'm mature. And so the starting place for spiritual maturity is not found in how much I know, but in how much I know or trust he loves me. And so Jesus says, love one another. We love like we believe God is loving us. If you have trouble loving somebody, it's probably one, that you don't actually believe that God loves you in those same areas. Two, here's the other challenge to loving other people well, is that we probably don't have God's eyes, his heart, his mind for them. We love like we believe God is loving us. We love like we receive God loving us. Go with me to John chapter 15. This is one of my favorite passages in scripture, this whole chapter. I'm just going to read from verse 9 to 13. It says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. That word remain is often abide. It actually means that we would make our home in him. That God's love would be the atmosphere, the place that we live from. He says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. Here's what we have to understand. Jesus is saying, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Here's what he's saying. I 
have created a way of love, a pathway that I've called you to live on. And I'm commanding you to live that because that's the way that you live in my love. Here's where that gets challenged in my life and your life is when I don't believe that God is good. When I believe that he actually wants to take from me instead of give to me, then I'll find myself in rebellion because I don't understand how good he is. Your obedience will only go to the extent that you believe God is good. When you start to believe that he loves you, by the way, he, he hung on the tree for you, like he, he loves you that much. When we start to allow that to sink into our lives, then we begin to trust that he's actually leading us and giving us commands not for his own sake, but for ours. And it turns out to also be for his glory. He says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. That's how you make yourself at home in my love. Sin is anything, by the way, is operating outside of the love of God in anything. That's why even the Ten Commandments, it's so clear. It's like all of those are really about interfering with love. Every single command is actually about protecting love. And when we put our lives in Jesus, we actually live out those things. When I'm in love with Jesus and live from a place of love, I'm never going to break the rules. He goes on to say, I have told you this so that my joy, say joy, may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So what God is saying is this, that you would trust me Trust always requires vulnerability. So much that you would obey me and from a place of obedience that will put you in my love and from then being in my love, I'll actually put my joy in you and your joy will be complete, actually overflowing. And so if you wrestle with joy, it's probably that you're actually not allowing God to love you. You've come up with some sort of disqualifier that has said, God, you can't really love me in that way. When I do that, you're not going to love me. You know that God is not looking to remove his love from you? John 15, 5, if you remain in me, I'll remain in you. He doesn't say that I'll remain in you so that you can remain in me. Here's what he's saying. If you remain in me, then I'll remain in you. What he's saying is I've already made the choice because love is powerful and it always has a choice. I've already made the choice to remain in you. Now you have the opportunity to meet me in that place of remaining in love or not, but I'm going to offer my love to you regardless. God's love is so powerful that it does not demand or command a response to still exist. And we're learning how to love like God, which means this, that we begin to understand that God is not threatening to withdraw our love, his love from us. And in the same way, when I'm powerful in love, I, do, I, I never have to threaten removing my love from somebody. Because that's not love. That's actually self-centered. And so when I say, well, if you do what I say, if you do these things, then, then I'll love you. And if you don't do them, I'll, I'll remove my love. No, I can, I can have clear boundaries. Boundaries is crucial. This is why people don't feel powerful in love. is because they don't understand that love can actually have healthy boundaries. 
but you're actually, love is powerful. Yeah, it's vulnerable, but it's a powerful place to be in. And you're called to actually be powerful and intentional in your love. And the reason why people don't love well is they don't understand that in being powerful in love that they actually, or being in love that they actually have power. But what you don't have is control over somebody else in your love. That's not called love, that's manipulation. And so we learn to live in this place that says, hey, I'm going to offer my love to you and you can receive it or not. I'm not going to remove my love from you if you don't do what makes me happy. My love for my kids is not contingent on their behavior. It's contingent on my character. And because my character towards them, my decision to them has always been love, no matter what they choose. If it's the worst lifestyle that I could ever imagine, I'm not going to remove my love from them. It doesn't mean that I'm going to agree with them and everything. We've got, oh man, we've got this thing in our culture right now that just drives me crazy. It's that if you don't accept me and all of me for who I am, then you don't love me. I can't even accept myself that way, y'all. Like I got some stuff that I'm working on that I don't accept, but I still love me. Right? And so we've got to remove this idea that love means that I accept every little thing, every decision that you make. That's foolishness. But it can say this, that I love you regardless of the decisions you make. And when we begin to grasp that, we actually live powerfully in love. That means that if you make the worst decision that I could ever imagine possible, that I'm not going to remove my love from you, but I'm actually going to love you. That does not mean, love does not mean that I'm going to follow you into your stupid decision. Right? It actually means I'm going to stay right here in love And in love, I'm not going to follow you in that decision because that's a bad idea, but I'm actually still going to pursue your heart in that decision. We've got this idea that God is so afraid of sin. God's not afraid of sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, what was God's response to go after them? God pursues us in our sin, and that's what maturity does. It says, hey, I'm going to go after you. I'm not going to follow you into it, but I'm going to go after you because I care about your heart. I care about your heart, in fact, way more than I care about your performance or your sin or your disobedience, so I'm going to pursue you in love regardless. I'm off my notes and just preaching now. I've told you this, that my joy may be in you and that my joy may be complete. Uh, Nope that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's the story of the the twins, right? That he said, you know what? I love so much that I'm willing to lay down my life for my sister. He didn't realize that he actually didn't have to lay down his life to give his blood. He didn't understand that. The doctor said it's a matter of life and death. And he thought, well, it's going to be my death and her life, but I'll choose it. And that's the way it looks to live in love, which requires vulnerability. To say that you're willing to lay down your life for your friend means that you're willing to be vulnerable. Here's the truth. Many of you would gladly lay down your life for your friends. I mean that. But you struggle to open up your heart to your friends. You struggle to open up your heart to your spouse, to those close to you. You struggle to live from a place of vulnerability that allows people in. And when we begin to allow people in, 
It's risky business, right? For somebody to know the worst of me and the best of me and have the opportunity, regardless of my control, to choose me or to reject me, that's a vulnerable place to be in. And yet when I learn to live in that place, I learn to live fully alive. Here's how I can live in that place. Is I have to be incredibly rooted in the love of God for me. You see, I'm not loving you looking for a response. I'm loving you out of an overflow of the character of God in me. And so I'm so rooted and grounded in his love, so rooted and grounded in his love, whatever you choose to do to me in response to my love for you, that's you. I'll do me, which is love. Oh, no. (laughs) Sometimes, yeah, the Holy Spirit just says stuff. I'll try. So when I live from a place of of love, it means first that I'm so rooted, rooted and grounded in God's love for me that whatever you choose to do in response to my love does not determine how I am, doesn't determine my capacity to love, but instead I love because I am loved, not because you love me. I love because he loves me. So you betray me and I can still love you. Why? Because the source of my love was never my love reflected at me from you. It was always his love abiding in me and emanating through me. And when that's the case, people can choose or reject me. It doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. That's a part of life, right? Life requires that we process joy and pain if we're going to be wholehearted. But it does require... That, that I am ultimately totally secure in what God says about me and his love for me more than what somebody else says. And church, when we begin to live that way, I believe that we'll have an incredible impact on the world. But as long as we are living individually and corporately for the world's acceptance in order to love them, then we'll never get there. We've got the wrong source. If you're the source for me loving you, then I'll never be able to love you fully. I'll never be able to love you like God loves you. That's why I love this verse. Somehow I stumbled on it. I'd never seen it this clearly before, but 1 John 3, 10. It says, anyone who does not demonstrate righteousness, righteousness is ultimately a demonstration of the character of God, who does not demonstrate righteousness and show love to fellow believers is not living with God as his source. When you live with God as your source, then you love fellow believers and you live in righteousness. Therefore, wherever you struggle with sin is a revelation of where you're not living living rooted in the love of God. Wherever you struggle loving people is actually a revelation of where you're struggling being rooted in the love of God. And that's why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our seal of adoption. It's what allows us to live rooted and grounded in love It's actually the source of love for us. So Galatians 3, 22 and 23 says this. Says that. (laughs) But God has locked up everything under the control of sin. Nope. That's three, and I'm at five. We're not going to get there. That was, yeah, that's totally going the wrong way. It's really good. So go with me to Galatians 5. I gave the guys the wrong one. Hey, they do awesome back there, by the way. Would y'all give it up for our production team? Thank you. 
Here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Say love. love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The thing about the fruit of the Spirit being love is this, that the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is not first signs and wonders and spiritual gifts. The first thing that the presence of God in your life is love. 5.6 says that what counts is faith expressing itself through love. Any demonstration of your faith that happens outside of being rooted in love is illegitimate. So our expressions of faith always have to be rooted in love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And it's important to understand the way this is worded in Scripture. We tend to think fruits of the Spirit, but it's actually singular. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And then this, the, the, the words that follow are actually a description of what love looks like. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, or yeah, patience, uh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So think about it this way. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy is love rejoicing. Peace is love ruling. Patience is love enduring. Kindness is love acting. Goodness is love interacting. Faithfulness is love prevailing. Gentleness is love touching. Self-control is love behaving. And when we begin to recognize that when I struggle with one of those, that it's actually that I'm struggling with love, which is rooted in my connectivity to the Holy Spirit. People tell me all the time, oh, don't, don't pray for patience because what you're going to get is an opportunity to, pray, to get patience or to practice patience. I'm like, yeah, don't pray for patience because patience isn't what you need. What you actually need is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will love people through you with patience and then you'll have the patience that you need. But we're like, oh, I want patience. And, I, and then we just get all worked up and it just gets worse, right? Like when you're asking for patience, it tends to snowball out of control and like you just get set off at anything, right? But it's because you've got the wrong source. The fruit of the spirit, God's presence in us is first love towards us. And when his spirit is present in me, I begin to love me because I recognize what I talked about last week, that I'm the one that Jesus loves, just like John. And that's the place that I live from. And so therefore, I'm so loved by God that I can love anybody. And I don't have to struggle with not having the fruit of the Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is in me by the love of God. So I don't have to struggle being kind because kindness is just the Spirit of God loving through me. Amen? And so I've been on this journey of loving, learning to, to receive the love of God and then learning to love like God. And here's, here's what happens. If you begin to have a value system for loving like God, then you're going to find areas where your love is lacking. Like that's all right. Because it, this is not rooted in my own works. And so when I recognize that I struggle loving somebody or some 
type of person or some thing that somebody does, I'm like, I want to reject them because of this, then it's just an opportunity for repentance and that I actually need to receive the love of God in a greater way. And then I get to live rooted in that place. And so I believe God has us on a journey of learning to live loved so that we can love the world around us. It's impossible for you to love your neighbor if you don't understand that God loves you. So you don't have to try. It actually becomes a fruit of God's love for you. I believe that God is leading us in this direction. And I, I think more than anything, the world needs to know today that God is love and so are we. That doesn't mean that we have to tolerate sin, but it means that we be patient with people in sin. There's a big difference between tolerance and patience. I don't have to move my line for righteousness because God's not moving his because there's this way called love that he's calling me to live in and I'm not going to move it. But what I can do is still love from that place because love is patient. So I'm going to let somebody have my love to be a part of getting them there instead of trying to manipulate them and withhold love until they get there. That's why 1 John 4 says this, that says something. What's it say? Um, Perfect love drives out fear. Why? Because fear has to do with punishment. And you see, God isn't punishing us. He's not withholding his love from us. Instead, he is loving us. And so he removes fear so that we can walk in love. That's why he pursued you while you were still a mess. And that's why he's still pursuing you in your mess. Why? Because he's not trying to punish you, but he's actually wanting to love you and deposit his love in you in that place. And then from that place, it'll transform you. So you don't have to clean yourself up to get to God. You just have to say, here's my heart. I'm going to let you love me. It's scary, but I'm going to let you love me. And when we do that, I believe that we get transformed. Amen? Amen. This morning, uh, there's a couple of things. One, I really feel strongly, and this is going to be a risk for some of you, that God wants to deal He wants to deal with self-hatred. That, that there's been this place in many of you where you just hate yourself and you're punishing yourself and you're hurting yourself, whether it's in your mind or even physically hurting yourself. But I believe that God wants to so saturate you in his love that you get such an upgrade in your perspective for yourself that you live full of love and love for yourself. And some of you, in your self-hatred, you've, you've spiritualized it as serving others, right? Like you're laying down your life for your friends and you're giving to the point that, it, that, that you're actually like destroying yourself. But you're actually only capable of loving to the extent that you receive God's love and love yourself. And I believe that God wants to meet you in that place and just deposit his love in you. And so I think it's crucial that, that we allow God to love us because I believe God wants to make us powerful in our love. Amen? So here's how you're going to respond to that. One, we don't do shame, so you just need to not be ashamed, okay? But if you're struggling there, then I want you to come forward and receive prayer, and people are going to lay hands on you, and they're going to 
impart to you a baptism of love, like a saturation of love that, that every fiber of your being gets touched with the love of God in such a way that there's no room for self-hatred. Okay? And if you have other need, then please come forward and get prayer. One of our prophetic team said that uh, they feel that God wants to heal somebody um, that has uh, stuff going on in their left ear, like you, you have trouble hearing or can't hear at all in your left ear. And so we're gonna pray for, for folks for healing. Here's what's cool about healing. When God's healing, he's actually not a respecter of persons or conditions. He loves to just heal all of us. And so if you've got uh, a need for healing, you don't have to wait for it to be your left ear. If it's your right ear, he's still doing ears. If it's your toe, he's doing toes too. He likes to do the whole thing, okay? So we're just gonna pray for each other. Um, go ahead and stand with me. We're going to make this declaration really short and sweet. Repeat after me. I'm the one that Jesus loves. Enough said. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, you can, kill, you can go with me. It's all right. Thank you, Lord, that you love us, that you are for us, that you want the very best for us, that you want to put your love in us in a way that we emanate your love to the world around us. And so, Lord, we open up our hearts. Lord, every one of us could receive an upgrade, could use an upgrade in love. And so, Lord, we just allow you to love on us. Prayer team, y'all come forward. We probably need some extra folks praying this morning. And if, you're, if you think maybe possibly there's just a chance that you could receive prayer this morning, I just encourage you to come. I really feel like God wants to just mark people with his love this morning. If you need to give your life to Jesus, like you've just never received the love of God that removes all of your sin from you by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross to the power of his resurrection, then I encourage you to do that. I love you.